So as, uh, as you're turning there uh, in your Bibles, Colossians 3, uh, in, in December of 1979, uh, two Canadians found that they were missing pieces to their Scrabble game. So they decided to create a game of their own. Uh, and after two additional years of, of development uh, and production, uh, a game was released that is now known as Trivial Pursuit. Uh, very, very popular game. The, the game is uh, pretty simple. Uh, you, you, you try and progress through the, the board map by answering questions that are uh, based to uh, kind of test your, your basic knowledge on a variety of topics, everything from uh, modern sports, uh, science, popular culture, to uh, Shakespeare's plays, uh, and anything that, that ranges in between. Uh, and as of 2004, uh, the game had sold over 88 million copies worldwide. Right? Uh, and so after the release of this game, there were people who would just be, begin to accumulate uh, facts. Uh, they would just begin to accumulate knowledge and kind of like, okay, I just need to, to know uh, all of these tiny tidbits of information because I never know when that question is going to, uh, to come up, uh, which is good. But you can, uh, you can accumulate a whole lot of knowledge that is trivial. Right? That's the very name of the game, of, of trivial pursuit, of, of things that, that aren't that uh, important. And, and sometimes as, as Christians, when, when, we come, when we come to church, it begins to, be, to, to carry that mindset over. Uh, let me come and just begin to accumulate knowledge. Let me accumulate some, some facts about who God is, about, uh, about who uh, the Bible says man is, or you know, facts about the Apostle Paul, or this, this church that was uh, in existence 2,000 years ago on the other side of the world. Uh, we, we can come sometimes with, with that attitude of, let me just accumulate knowledge. But, but the Apostle Paul, the way that he wrote uh, I think he, he was very anti just the accumulation of knowledge because the way that he wrote, uh, he constantly wove in uh, truths and facts and then called them to respond to those truths. He, he would give, here's some facts and then here's, here's some commands on, on how those facts matter. This is why uh, these truths matter. He wouldn't just give information and then expect us to do nothing with it. Uh, and and what we, what we want to do is, is understand that the main message of the Bible, not just a, a whole bunch of tiny facts about, about God, but what is the main message of the Bible? That, that message is known as the gospel. And, and the gospel is, uh, what it fundamentally teaches is about who God is, uh, that he is the, the holy creator and owner of everything. Uh, and if he's made everything uh, and everyone, that everyone is accountable to him. Uh, it teaches us who, who God is, uh, and it teaches us who man is. God has created man to obey him, uh, but man is the opposite. We have, we have disobeyed. Uh, we are uh, perfect in our disobedience uh, to him. Uh, we, we have fallen away. We have rebelled against him. And uh, the, the cost of rebelling against an infinite and holy God is an, an eternal penalty. Uh, and it's an eternal penalty, a penalty that we can't pay in and of our own strength. There's not enough good deeds that we can do to outweigh our bad deeds. Uh, our, our only hope is in a Savior, is in somebody else uh, to rescue us and to pay the debt that we owed. Uh, and, and that's where God, uh, knowing that we couldn't save ourselves, he acted to save us through his son, Jesus Christ, who came as, as the God-man, who lived the perfect life that we couldn't live, and then paid the eternal penalty for sin that we couldn't pay when he died upon the cross. Uh, but he didn't, he didn't just go to the tomb after he died and stay there. He was resurrected and rose again on the third day. 
Uh, and now everybody is called to, to turn from their sin, to repent of their sin, and to believe in Jesus Christ. And if we, if we do that, we are made new in him. We are united with him in faith. His righteous life is, is placed upon uh, us, and our sin is placed upon him, and it, it's paid for. Uh, that, that's, the, that's the message of the Bible. And as Paul is writing to the Colossians, he laid that out in the first part of the letter. He laid out who Jesus is as the creator and sustainer of all things. He laid out uh, who mankind is as uh, those who have rebelled against God. And now the, as uh, Christians, we are reconciled to God. We are united with him. And that is the, the hope of our glory, that Christ is in us. And now what, what Paul is doing is, is sharing truth uh, that's practical. Uh, he, he's sharing truth that is not trivial. He's telling them, here, here is what you need to know and believe, and then now here's what you need to, to do. Here's how you need to respond to everything that I have, have been saying. Uh, and as you, as you look at Colossians 3, uh, beginning in, in verse 1, uh, he, he's kind of turned a corner and he said, if then you have been raised with Christ, so if, if you have believed the gospel, if you have believed what the, mes- the, the message of the Bible is, the, the core message is the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. If you have believed that, then you have been raised with Christ, that you have been raised to newness of life, and then he issues two commands. So if, if that is true, here's where the practical comes in. Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And then he, he always explains why we should do something as well. He gives, hey, here's truth, here's how you respond, and here's what should motivate you uh, in those moments when you are discouraged. He says, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That's what we looked at last week, that that our identity is first and foremost found in who we are in Jesus Christ. We are united with him in the past, in the present, and in the future. uh, And that's how we need to think about ourselves. That's uh, as we set our minds uh, and our hearts upon things that are above, uh, how we think about ourselves and how we think about our circumstances in the here and now uh, will, will transform our lives. And so we need to identify as Christians, as those who have been united with Christ, and then uh, in, the, in the remaining uh, verses in this chapter, he's going to lay out uh, the, the so what or how, that, how we begin to live the resurrected life. If we've been raised with Christ, what does that look like? You're, you're kind of speaking in general terms. And then he moves to the specific. We'll, we'll just uh, to kind of a brief overview. Look at how verse 5 begins. And this is what we'll be looking at. But he says, put to death, therefore. So, so we, we, he starts this paragraph in verses 5 through 11 of this is what you need to put off. If you've been raised with Christ, do away with these things. And then verse 12, what does he say? Put on then. So if you do away with something, you're going to need to replace it with something else. Uh, put away uh, your old life and then put on this new life that you have in Christ. Uh, and then he, he moves from those general principles to this is how it looks in your family. This, this is where the rubber meets the road in your household. Uh, beginning in verse 18, he addresses Christian households. Wives do this. Husbands do this. Children, uh, bond servants, ma- you know, s- masters. He, he begins to address all of our relationships uh, in our day-to-day life. And so what, what Paul has to say here is extremely practical. 
It is, it is in no way trivial. Paul wants us to have hope. He, he doesn't want us to continue to live as we used to live before we knew Christ. He says, hey, there's transformation is available. Uh, believing in Jesus changes your eternal destiny, and it changes your earthly life. Uh, and he's going to begin to lay those truths out for us. Uh, if you look at your, at your notes there, there's a, there's a chart uh, on the bottom, and, and it's, uh, it, it's so rich when you, when you look at... Uh, the theology of what Paul wants us to know and believe, that, that you are united with Christ. If you have believed in him, you've died with him. You've risen with him. You are hidden with him. You are seated with him uh, in heaven, and you will be revealed with him. Right, but, and because those things are true, Paul is now going to, to give us a mission. Uh, this is going to be step one in the change process. Uh, if you're going to live differently, if you're not going to continue to be enslaved by the sins that used to have power over you, this is what you need to begin to do. And that's what Paul is going to, to lay out here. This is what can, can give us hope that change is possible in our lives right now because of what Christ has done. Uh, and so he, he gives us a mission. Uh, and to, to summarize that mission, it's, it's to kill sin. Uh, we, we have an assassination mission. Uh, we, we are now all in, uh, in the military, so to speak, and, and Paul gives us this mission to battle against sin, uh, but, and then he, he gives the details of that mission to us in verses 5 through 7. Now, let's, let's look at those together. He says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. And what we're going to be looking at this morning is uh, the details that Paul lays out for us. What are the details of our mission? We'll, we'll see first and foremost the objective of our mission. We'll see the targets of our mission, what we are to be killing, and then we will see the, the necessity of that mission. Why, is, why do we need to go about uh, fulfilling this mission? Uh, but let's look first at the, at the objective of the mission found in that first statement in, in verse 5 of, of put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And, and he issues uh, this, this command, uh, put to death, kill, uh, put an end to something. Uh, and it's an action that should be taken without delay. Uh, there's, a, there's an urgency to what Paul is saying. Uh, put to death, therefore, and, and therefore builds upon what he said previously. Because, of, uh, because we need to know and believe that what's on that left-hand column, because those things are true, we are now called to, to action. And what is it that we are to kill is, says, uh, what is earthly in you. Uh, and it's literally the, the members of your body. Okay, we all have members of our body, our hands, our legs, uh, our body parts. That, that is what he's, he's literally saying that we should put to death. And, and he's saying it in that way because what do you, what do we, uh, how do we go about sinning? We use our, 
our body. Uh, Jesus, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, if your eye or your hand cause you to stumble, what should you do to that, that member of your body? Cut it off. Cast it away from you. Uh, because it, it's, it's better for you to be without that part of your body than it is to suffer an eternity in hell. Uh, and that is, in essence, what Paul is building upon here. Whatever is causing you to sin, whatever is earthly within you, whatever is uh, of an earthly nature, you need to, to cut it off and cast it from you. What, what Paul is calling for here is the termination of the self-centered use of your body. Uh, you, you used to live one way before you knew Christ. You used your body for you. You used your body for Sin, But now, because you are united with Christ, because you have a new life in Christ, he's saying, use your body for Christ. Uh, but we also know that Paul isn't just speaking of your physical body, because the, the list that he then mentions isn't, uh, you know, cut off your finger and then your ear, uh, because you listen to something that you shouldn't listen to. Or, you know, he doesn't say, he doesn't begin to list off physical body parts, which leads us to believe and understand that he's speaking metaphorically. What he begins to say that we should put off, as we'll see in the second point of the targets of what we are to be killing, uh, those, are, those are invisible internal realities. Those are things that take place in our hearts. So what he's saying is that you should kill sin. You must kill the, the sin that resides within you. Uh, and we are, we are to, to put it to death. And, and some of you might say, well, is Paul contradicting himself here? Because he already said that I've died. So why do I, why do I need to put stuff to death if I've already died? Uh, and uh, wh- wh- he's not speaking or contradicting himself. What, he's, what he is highlighting is, is, as Christians, we live in two, two planes of reality. Okay? There's a, a spiritual realm that we exist in, in which we, are, uh, we have confessed our faith in Christ. We are completely forgiven for all of our sins, and we, our life is hidden with Christ in God. That's what we saw in the first part of Colossians 3. Uh, that, that's the invisible spiritual realm that we reside in. But then we're still here. We're still physically here on the earth uh, living uh, with other people who are, who are sinful. We are still struggling with our own sin nature. We live in a fallen world, and so uh, we live in the, the earthly physical and the, the heavenly realm all at once. Uh, and so while we have died and, and been raised with Christ in the spiritual realm, we are still living here in, the, in this earthly realm. And, and this is where the battle against sin exists. Uh, we, we don't have to battle against sin in the heavenly realm because when we get to heaven, sin won't, sin won't come with us. Uh, can I get an amen for that? Like, I'm, I can't wait for that. I can't wait to not struggle with my own sins when I, when I get to heaven and to be, as we sung today, in the presence of God, getting to worship Jesus in his, uh, in, in his periphery, in his very presence, getting to see him face to face. Uh, I long for that. But as long as we're here in this earthly realm, we have a battle ahead of us. Listen to Romans 8, verse 10. It says, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life or the spirit is alive because of righteousness. Paul highlights this, this dual realm that we exist in. Uh, and and those, two, those two realms class first and foremost in our own hearts. And every day as believers, uh, we have this desire to, to please God and to worship him. Uh, but what other desires do we also have? <laughs> For, for our old sinful habits. Uh, we, we have these, these habits and our old sins that we continue to struggle with uh, and we battle against it. And this, this tension resides in our hearts of, uh, and we can, we can 
give a hearty amen to what, what Paul says in Romans 7, verses 19 and 20. And this is the Apostle Paul, uh, of who, who's seen the Lord Jesus Christ, who wrote a majority of the New Testament. And this is what he's saying. He says, For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. See, sin uh, is like an evil dictator who's been overthrown and forced into exile. As soon as we believe in Christ's sin, uh, he's like he, he's kicked out, uh, but he, he does still have power and authority. Uh, he doesn't have the, the full authority and power that he once had, but even though he's been kicked out, he still tries to, to come back and exert an influence and hinder and harm uh, the people that he used to have control over. Now, that, that is what sin is like as believers now. Uh, and we have been given this, this mission to kill sin, to address it at, at, on the front lines of our hearts. And, and this is a mission that we can't take a break from. So, so imagine with me if at some point during World War II, uh, our soldiers just uh, laid aside their weapons in the middle of a fight and just said, hey, you know what? I'm just going to stop. I'm, t- I'm just kind of tired right now. Uh, that would have been a disaster. <laughs> that would have been suicide. That would have been surrender. Or, or imagine a, a boxer in the middle of a match. Uh, he, just, he just stands with his hands down. He's like, no, I'm not going to throw any punches. I'm not going to keep my hands up to defend myself. I'm just, I'm just going to stop. Uh, I'm gonna, even if he pauses for just a few seconds, what's going to happen in that fight? He's going down. Uh, and that's, this, is, this is a battle against sin that we can't pause from, we can't take a break from, we can't uh, go on vacation and say, I'll pick that up when I return. It's, a, it's an ever, uh, every moment battle that we must be fighting against sin. Uh, and we can't take a break because guess what? Sin doesn't take any breaks. It doesn't, it doesn't go to its own corner for a rest every three minutes. Uh, he, he, he's always in the fight, always in this battle against us. Uh, an English Puritan named John Owen uh, has some amazing writings on sin. And, and listen, to, listen to what he says. It's a, it's a lengthy quote, but it's, it's so powerful in what he says. He says, If then sin will be always acting, if we be not always mortifying, meaning killing, then we are lost creatures. He that stands still suffers his enemies to double blows upon him without resistance will undoubtedly be conquered in the issue. If sin is subtle, watchful, strong, and always at work in the business of killing our souls, and we be slothful, negligent, foolish in proceeding to the ruin thereof, can we expect a comfortable event? So if we, just, if we give in to sin, if we stop fighting against it, is that going to be a comfortable enterprise, just, just letting sin pummel us? No. He ends with this. He says, There is not a day, but sin it foils or is foiled, prevails or is prevailed on, and it will be so while we live in this world. See, Paul, Paul issues this command, uh, and, he, and he says, This is our objective. This is the, the fight that we need to fight. He says, Understand that, that we are called to wage war against the, the sin that resides in our hearts and remains within us. And we have to be convinced that this battle is serious. Now, we have to, to understand uh, the, the, the severity of if we, if we decide to take a break from this or if we don't take this seriously, we will lose this fight. Uh, and sin isn't just 
uh, wanting us, uh, it's not just going for a victory bell at the end of a boxing match. It, it, it's a fight for our souls. Uh, sin wants to dominate us and have control of us. So we must fight. But then how do we put sin to death? Well, I would just point us back to, to verses 1 and 2, where Paul issues two commands. Set your minds on things that are above and seek the things that are above. You, you begin to put sin to death by putting on Christ, by thinking about who he is, by thinking about what he has done for you, by thinking about, do I really want to return to this sin that Christ died to save me from? Why would I return to something that cost a friend his life? Right? Sin cost Jesus his life to save you, to rescue you. Why would, we, why would we then become friends with it? No, we need to kill sin because it killed our Savior. That is how we begin to, to put sin to death, by choosing to focus upon Christ, by choosing to pursue heavenly things rather than earthly things. By, by reading and meditating upon God's word until we understand the true nature of sin in the eyes of a holy God. And we, we begin to see how offensive sin is to the holiness of God. And we need to think often about the ugliness of sin. Right? We, we need to, uh, to remember the, the, the bitterness that follows the sweet. Right? Usually in, in those moments of temptation, what are we thinking about? The, the little bit of joy that sin brings. And we need to acknowledge that, that sin does bring satisfaction. It does bring a little bit of joy. But what happens to that joy? It rapidly turns to, to guilt, to shame, to separation from God and from others. And we need to think often about the bitterness that results from sin, not just uh, the sweetness for a short time. And so we need to do this not in our own strength, but in the strength of this uh, asking God to, to help us in this endeavor because we can't kill sin in, in our own wisdom and in our own strength. And then uh, what we need to do is, is what I like to call it affectionately. We need to play a spiritual game of whack-a-mole in our minds. You guys ever play that arcade game? You go to Chuck E. Cheese or some other uh, game of, you know, that game of you have this, this little foam mallet, uh, and whenever a mole pops up from the ground, whoever he shows his head, what do, what do you do? Whack. Uh, and, and this is what we need to do. This is the front line. This is what it looks like to kill sin uh, at, a, at its root. Of, hey, whenever a sinful thought pops up into your mind, whack. Okay, you know what, Lord, let me confess that and repent that. Uh, Lord, please forgive me for that. Let, let me uh, trust in Christ and be, immediately begin to pray. And it, because if we don't do it at that moment, if we don't fight that uh, battle on the front line there, the, the, the front line is going to move back. <laughs> it's going to move back to, uh, to what our, our, we are constantly thinking about. Right? And once, once we are constantly thinking about sin, our feet are sure to follow. And the front line gets pushed back even more. And then suddenly we're not fighting a battle in our minds. Uh, we're fighting the battle because we have committed sin. Uh, and then it's, the, the consequences are far greater at that point. Uh, we need to, to be diligent in this spiritual whack-a-mole game of sin in our minds when it crops up. Uh, to, quote, to quote John Owen again, he, he asks the question that, that we must ask ourselves of, do you mortify? Do we kill sin? It says, do you make it your daily work? It says, be always at it while you live. Cease not a day from this work. It says, be killing sin, or it will be killing you. That, that is the objective of our mission. We, we have to put sin to death. We have to put what is earthly within us to death, because now our citizenship is in heaven. It's no longer on earth. Uh, and, 
And after giving the objective, he begins to give us a target list uh, in, the, in the second part of verse 5. He, he lists off uh, five specific sins that we, that we should uh, kill, that we should put to death. Uh, let's look at that in the second part of verse 5. He begins with, he says, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Uh, and, and as we look at these things, when he, when he says sexual immorality, that's where we get our word pornography. Uh, he's just talking about any, any type of sexual behavior that is outside of one man, one woman in the covenant relationship of marriage. That is what he is pointing to there. And then impurity uh, is not as much in, in action as it is the, the beginnings of, uh, of a thought pattern. Uh, it, it, the word points to an uncleanness, uh, and here it's used to speak of, uh, of sexual sins. And before there are sexual acts, there are sexual thoughts. There, there are sexual meditations of the heart, uh, which then moves to uh, passion. Uh, those, those sexual desires and sexual cravings that, uh, is what Paul speaks of. And then he goes even deeper of evil desire, any, anything, any foul desire of a, of a sexual character. And then he concludes the list with, covetousness, or if you have a different translation, you may see greed. Uh, and, and you may be thinking, well, well, why does he, how does he, he work from all of these uh, terms that have a, a sexual connotation and end up with covetousness or, or greed? Uh, what is the connection here? And, and, and I would say that there's a progression to this list. And again, as you see on that chart that you have on the bottom of your notes, uh, Paul, Paul is drilling down from our external actions uh, to what really is at the core of our sin. Uh, and it's, it begins with the heart. Uh, the the, the covetous, covetousness in your heart is the source of all sin. And that covetousness is a form of idolatry. Uh, and covetousness is idolatry because it involves setting your heart and mind upon something on earth rather than upon Christ above. Uh, see, when, whenever we covet, we, we take Christ off of the throne and we put something else in place. Uh, we, we put a part of the creation, we may put another creature uh, instead of the creator. We begin to worship something other than Christ. Uh, and so uh, a covetous heart, uh, an idolatrous heart, removes Christ from the throne and seats ourselves and our desires. Uh, and so we begin to be God. This is what I want. I'm going to completely disregard what Christ has called me to do, uh, and I'm going to do exactly what I want. And in the moment of sin, we are all practical atheists, right? God disappears uh, from our minds. Uh, and in the moment of sin, we begin to worship ourselves. Uh, Pastor William Barclay, uh, in, in describing this sin of coveting, he says this, It is a sin with a very wide range. If it is the desire for money, it leads to theft. If it is the, the desire for prestige, it leads to evil ambition. If it is the desire for power, it leads to a sadistic tyranny. If it is the desire for a person, it leads to sexual sin. And, and throughout Scripture, uh, sin is always seen as coming from the heart. Listen, listen to these verses. I was encourage you to, to jot them down. Uh, but, but coveting in the heart is the source of all. Sin. That's why uh, in the Ten Commandments, in Exodus 20, verse 17, uh, the, the last of the commandments is, thou shalt not covet, because it addresses 
uh, all of the other sins. Coveting takes place before all of the other sins. What do you, uh, before you commit adultery, you begin to desire another person in your heart. Before you steal, you begin to covet an object in your heart. Before you kill, you begin to be jealous or covetous of another person in your heart. So in Exodus 20:17, Moses, uh, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit uh, and the command of the direct word of God, closes out the Ten Commandments with this. He says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Jesus, as he's speaking uh, to his disciples and, and speaking where defilement comes from, He says this in Mark 7, verses 21 to 23. He says, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within, and they defile a person. And then James Chapter 1, verses 13 through 15, he says, let, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And, when, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And, and so it, if we're going to take this truth into consideration, it's going to change the way that we, we go about killing sin, right? Uh, take, for instance, uh, this, this past summer, Bruce and I learned uh, that uh, here in Idaho, through the irrigation water uh, and through your sprinklers, uh, little tiny seeds uh, of, for weeds can, can come out through the sprinklers, uh, and suddenly you have weeds all throughout your lawn. Uh, we got that. Uh, and that was fun to deal with. And, and if, if you're going to deal with, with these weeds, if I were to take uh, garden shears uh, and to go out and, and begin to just clip uh, the tops of the weeds, uh, what's going to happen? Those, yeah, those weeds are going to come back even, even stronger. If I'm really going to deal with those weeds, what do I have to do? Yeah, I, I got to get down and I have to pull them out and I have to make sure I get the entire root system with it. Otherwise, that sin's going to come back next week. Otherwise, those weeds are going to be right there, and they're just going to stick. Uh, and so uh, if I'm going to deal with weeds that are already there, I have to make sure I get the totality of it. I have to get every part of that root. But also, we're not going to deal with that next summer. Do you know why? We're going to spray in the spring. <laughs> and before the weeds come, we're going to put down a base layer of defense so that those weeds can't take root in our yard. And I think that that's how we have to deal with sin. If we're going to be serious about killing sin, the sin that is already existent in our lives, we can't play games with it, right? Uh, and sometimes we like to do that. Sometimes we like to cut off just a little bit of the weed, right? Look, I dealt with it. I have one little blade of weed, one little dandelion. Uh, and look, I've killed sin. But what, what is it that's happening? Man, that sin is growing stronger there in my heart. Its root system is growing deeper and deeper. So if I'm going to deal rightly with sin that already exists in my life, I have to, to pull it out. And guess what? That's going to be painful, right? That's going to be humbling. But that is what needs to happen. Because as we saw in James 
One, what happens when sin is fully grown? What does it lead to? See, we don't, have to, we don't have to try and figure out what that weed turns into. It turns into death. And if it continues to grow in our hearts, we will die with it. Uh, so we need to take this seriously. And the sins that already exist in our hearts, we need to, to pull them out by the entire root. And the sins uh, that, we, that have not yet taken root in our heart, what do we need to do? We need to lay down that, that base layer of pesticides so that, that additional sins can't come in and begin to take root in our hearts and in our minds. We must know that the, this battle against sin begins in our own hearts. And we must be convinced that in our battle against sin, our focus should be inward rather than outward. See, typically, how do we like to explain and view our trials and circumstances? Well, this person is attacking me. This person has sinned against me. What do we not like to identify? Our, our role in conflict or why uh, we continue to, to turn to sin instead of turning to, to Christ. We must understand and believe that truly sin begins in our heart, just as Jesus taught, just as uh, Moses taught in the Old Testament, just as James proclaimed uh, in the New Testament. Uh, we must understand that sin begins in our heart. And if, if we're going to, to change and grow in this area of our affections, we need to not only say, hey, well, I'm, going to, I'm going to put off, I'm going to kill covetousness within my heart. We also need to replace it with something. Right? Because if I just say, I'm going, to, I'm going to put this off, I'm going to put this off, I'm going to put this off. Uh, if I say, don't think about elephants, what are you thinking about? You're thinking about elephants. That's the first thing that pops into your mind. So we need to replace uh, those thoughts with something else. And, and we need to re- replace it with what is the opposite. Well, what is the opposite of covetousness? It's contentment. Being content in our circumstances. See, covetousness is an insatiable desire for more. Uh, I want more and more and more. I need to feed my my desires, my pleasure. I need to continue to feed it. But the reality, the opposite is, no, I need to put on contentment in Christ. I need to, to look for ways to give thanks to God and to find contentment right where I am. That, that is the reality. Uh, we need to, to change the way that we think, that when, when that, uh, that covetous thought pops up into our mind, when, whether it's a, hey, you know, look at that car, man, I sure wish I could have that, or look at that house, or hey, look at that, look at that person, I find them uh, attractive. We, we need to, man, go back to spiritual whack-a-mole. No, Lord, that, that's, that's sinful. Lord, please forgive me for that. Help me to be, to be satisfied with what you have given to me. Help me to be satisfied with my relationships. Uh, we need to, to be dedicated to that spiritual whack-a-mole. And then, again, we need to pray for God to help us be content in our circumstances. Listen to Philippians uh, chapter 4, verses 10 to 13, a, a verse that is often uh, misunderstood uh, that, that we'll come to. So Philippians 4, beginning in verse 10, Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then verse 13, the one that's often misunderstood, he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. What Paul is saying there is he can find contentment 
in any and every situation, whether he is uh, poor and hungry or whether he is rich and uh, has enough food, he can find contentment in any of those circumstances. Uh, and that is what verse 13 is saying. Not that I can, if I just say something and say, Lord, help me to, to do this, he will do it. But the reality is contentment. Uh, and uh, if that was true for Paul, we need to be praying for the same thing. Lord, help me to be content in my circumstances rather than coveting constantly. Uh, those are uh, that, that's what we what we need to be serious ab- about. Uh, and even though he gives us five five targets on this list, and we need to address each and every one of them. Yes, we can uh, address sinful actions and sinful desires, but the, the root of what we need to get to is that that covetous heart. Uh, that, that greedy heart that is insatiable, uh, that is what we need to focus upon the most. Because if we kill that, we don't have to deal with the others. Uh, but if we only deal with the others, we, it, it's not going to uh, trickle downwards. Uh, and so after outlining the objective and then the targets, and then, then Paul supplies two reasons why, why this mission is so important, why, uh, why it needs to be uh, undertaken. Uh, and that's seen in verses 6 and 7 where Paul writes, On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. So he offers two, two reasons. The first is uh, that the wrath of God is coming. Now, the, the wrath of God is coming upon sin. And the wrath of God is often misunderstood uh, because we, we think that, or sometimes people think that God pours out his wrath unjustly. But the wrath of God is actually the holiness of God that is, that is stirred into action because of sin. See, a holy God can't, uh, can't just allow rebellion against him. And that is what sin is. Uh, a holy God doesn't allow uh, his creatures to worship uh, themselves instead of the, him, the creator. Uh, a holy God demands that sin be addressed and dealt with. And God's holiness is stirred to wrath against sin because it is rebellion against him. And God's holiness is stirred to wrath uh, against those people who reject Jesus Christ. Listen to John 3:36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Uh, this wrath of God is focused upon rebellion against uh, him as the creator and owner of all things, and it's focused upon the rejection of uh, the sacrifice that he made on our behalf, the rejection of the Savior. And it's interesting here that, that the Apostle Paul mentions wrath, or he is using wrath as a motivation for us, as a motivation for the Colossians, because as believers, we don't have to face the wrath of God. That is what we are saved from. But here Paul uses it as, as a motive uh, because he wants us to understand the severity of sin. He wants us to understand and cultivate a fear of God and understand that even though we don't have to face the wrath of God, if we continue to sin as believers, what do we face? The discipline of God. That as a, as a parent doesn't just let their, their child run amok, but they, they come alongside and discipline them. God disciplines his children. When, when we wander from him, he calls us back. And if we don't want to come back, guess what? He's going to bring, he's going to bring us back uh, whether we want to or not. He's going to discipline us and chasten us so that we uh, begin to obey him if we are truly his children. Uh, and... Uh, this this reality here, what he is saying is the wrath of God is is coming upon these types of sins. Uh, and some of you, if you have the NASB, there's there's a phrase in there upon the sons of disobedience. Uh, it's a Hebrew idiom that 
Uh, it's just meant to, to say that, you know, the wrath of God is coming upon people characterized by disobedience. And uh, the little phrase was probably added later uh, to the text. And we, and we know that because in the earliest manuscripts in the Greek, uh, it's, not, it's not there. But it seems to be that somebody, as they were writing uh, Ephesians 5, 6, when, if you're a scribe and you're copying multiple uh, books in the Bible, you can, you can easily conflate things. And I think he, the, whoever made that copy uh, is bringing in something from Ephesians 5, 6, of where it says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Where if there's a, a similar phrase at the beginning, they may pose something else upon that. But uh, I think the ESV uh, does it well of saying, hey, you know, it's, it's probably just uh, the wrath of God is coming upon uh, those who commit such sins. Uh, so that's a little side note with that. So reason number one is we need to understand that, that God is greatly displeased with sin. Uh, and if we are now children of God, we shouldn't continue to act as children of wrath, that we should be transformed and begin to live accordingly. And then reason number two in verse seven, he says, uh, in essence, that you have a new identity in Christ. He says, uh, in these you too once walked when you were living in them. He, again, Paul, Paul continues to point back of, hey, that's who you used to be. You used to be uh, the ones who were committing those sins. Those sins used to characterize you. But, but the, and speaking in the past tense, what, what's the implication? Yeah, yeah, that you're not that way now, that you have a new identity now, that you are no longer what you used to be, but you are a new creation in Christ. You are no longer uh, a son of, of disobedience. You are no longer an, an orphan. You are no longer a child of wrath, but you've been brought into the family of God, adopted as his child, and now uh, you are part of that family, and God is calling you to live that way. Uh, and uh, that reality of uh, just that, you think of that picture of adoption. Right? It takes a while for, for a child who's adopted and brought into a family, it takes them a while to, to learn the new, the new family, right? to, to learn the new rules and rhythms of that family and what life in this family looks like. And that's what we have to understand. We've, we've been taken from uh, being children of wrath, and, and we've been brought into the family of God. Another way to look at it is we've been taken, uh, as Paul says in Colossians 1, verses 13 to 14, that, that God has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his son. We have, we've moved from one sphere to another, and, then, and that changes the way that we live. Right? So if, if all of us were to, for some reason, take, take up, uh, sell our homes and move to, to Canada, right? let's, just, let's just say uh, we, we wanted to do that, we would be moving from uh, the realm of Idaho, the United States, where we used to live and uh, and walk, and we would now be moving to to somewhere else. We're, we're, we would be moving to another country with another set of rules, another set of regulations and laws. And now we would be in the sphere of Canada. And that's what what Paul is saying here: is you used to be in one sphere, one thing used to carry to your life because that's where you were. You were in that, but now you are no longer in that. You are in Christ, and you need to understand what that looks like to live. Uh, in that sphere rather than in where you used to be. And this is, this is important to remember for a couple of different reasons. Uh, oftentimes, uh, we forget where we came from, right? And for those of us who have been uh, believers for a while, some of us may, may think uh, that we were really something, that, that God got a, got a deal when he signed us to his team. 
right? Man, God, I was a free agent. You did, man, you, uh, you signed the dotted line, signed my contract. Uh, we often forget that we were one of those people. We were a child of wrath. We were a son of disobedience. We were those who were committing these sins. This is what characterized our life, rebellion against God. Uh, and, and we can't forget that because if we forget that, we, we lose uh, thankfulness and appreciation for what Christ has done. Again, Christ, it cost Jesus his life to save us from the sins that we were committing. And there was no other way to be rescued from those things. So that's number one. We need to remember the, that truth that this is how we used to be because that's where we came from. And then number two, uh, we need to remember that that's not where we are now. Again, where we, where we were is not where we are presently, and that's, uh, the, the change has been made. Uh, and that's, again, what Paul continues to beat the drum on uh, in Colossians and what we will continue to see. And, uh, and, the, and this morning, what we have seen is, is not trivial, but it is utterly practical. Uh, Paul, Paul is giving us the, that, this first step in change, and it is to be killing sin, to put it to to death, And if we're to live our new lives in Christ as resurrected individuals because of what he has done, we have to first and foremost address the idolatry that resides within our hearts. That We have to address that. We have to, to kill it. We have to put it to death. Uh, and, and we must understand the battle that we are now called to fight. Uh, in, in the Vietnam War, uh, the, the U.S. military bases in that country were always on high alert uh, against enemy raids and attacks, uh, and the U.S. Uh, servicemen were always, uh, always in hostile territory in the war uh, of Vietnam, uh, and uh, they had to constantly be aware of their surroundings. There, there was one particular uh, military base that was situated on a hill, and, and they suffered repeated attacks uh, by the enemy, and, and the, these attacks would come suddenly uh, at night, and they had no idea where the enemy was firing from, uh, they had no idea where the the enemy came from or went to. Uh, they they were just suddenly upon them and disappeared. So uh, the officers soon placed more and more soldiers on guard each night and prepared a heavy defense uh, against attack from from the outside. They, they were going to be ready. Uh, but what the what the officers didn't realize is they had built a U.S. military base on this hill that the Vietnamese had carved out and had a series of tunnel. And there was a Vietnamese base directly underneath the U.S. base, and the Vietnamese could pop up in the middle of the U.S. base at any time they wanted and in any location that they wanted virtually. Uh, and so here, these U.S. military men are, are focused upon, hey, we're going we're gonna to have a defense. We're going to be uh, looking for external threats. But where was the greatest threat? With, not from the outside, but from within their own walls. And that's what we need to understand in this battle against sin. We, we, can, we can focus externally. Yes, there's going to be temptations to sin from outside. But, the, but we should be looking first and foremost in this battle against sin. Where? At our, at our own hearts. So as we set up our defenses, as we wage this war, we need to keep that in mind. And we need to be ready to put sin to death wherever it shows its face. We need to show it no mercy. We can't be merciful towards sin. It's out to kill us. It, it won't show us mercy. And may we be vigilant in killing sin this week and every day from now on. Let's pray. Gracious God, as we as we see the ugliness of sin, as we see 
how dangerous sin is. Lord, we are so thankful for your actions to send your son to save us from this enemy that we had no chance of defeating. And Lord, we, we see the task that is ahead of us as we, as we seek to, to obey this mission that you have given to us, to put sin to death. Lord, we, we see that it is an enormous task. We see that it is one that, uh, that we must fight at all times, that we must fight with all of our strength. And Lord, that, that sounds exhausting. It sounds overwhelming. So, so we come to you asking that you would strengthen us that you would sustain us, that you would give us uh, hope, that you would encourage us because by your, the power of your Holy Spirit, you will, you will strengthen and empower us to obey what you have commanded. So Lord, help us to, to take every thought captive. Help us to address every sin that resides within our hearts. Help us to be willing to pull sin out of its roots. Help us to uh, to put a defense down so that sin does not begin to grow uh, elsewhere in our hearts and in our minds. Lord, help us to fight this battle, to wage this war uh, in your strength and in your power, not our own. Lord, we ask for your guidance and your blessing in this endeavor. In Jesus' name.